Welcome to Leaders of the West, a podcast for innovators and changemakers. I'm your host, Jesse Jarvis, the founder of Of the West, and I'm sitting down with agriculturalists, entrepreneurs, executives, and everyone in between with the goal of digging into the strategies, mindsets, and lessons that have been crucial to the success of ag and Western. Whether you're carrying on the next generation of your family's operation, starting something from scratch, or determined to climb up the leadership ladder, we're going to inspire you to continue to dream big, growing not just you, but the future of agriculture and Western as a whole. Let's go. Welcome back to today's episode of Leaders of the West. Today, we have the president of Western Livestock Journal, Logan Ipson. Logan was raised in southeastern Idaho on a cow-calf operation And after graduating with an animal science and ag business degree from Utah State University, Logan spent 16 years as a fieldman in the Western U.S., first working for American Angus Association, and then moving to Western Livestock Journal in 2012. Last year, Logan transitioned into the role of president at Western Livestock Journal, which is where he serves today. And I am really excited to get to share Logan's career experiences and knowledge with you guys because I think that his career journey and trajectory is something that is really going to be very relatable and encouraging and inspiring to so many of you. And Logan is a friend of mine and Justin, so it's exciting to get to share that with you guys. Logan, thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and then give us some insight as to your career experience, both with American Angus and Western Livestock Journal? Yeah, you bet. So I'll tell you a quick story that, that not, a, not a lot of people know about me, but I'll start with kind of my introduction. So yes, my name is Logan Ipson. I grew up in Montpelier, Idaho, very southeast corner of Idaho. My dad's operation would be just tucked in the very, very corner, about 10 miles from Utah and 10 miles from Wyoming, not, not too far from, from either. And so um, kind of a secluded little area, but I grew up with, with a great group of friends and had a great upbringing. But yes, obviously everything is agriculture. My whole my whole lineage from the time that the Bear Lake Valley was was homesteaded. My family had a part of that. And so we've been there. My ties are there. In fact, as soon as this is done, we're going to load up and, and head that way and go see family and, and go catch up with them for a couple of days. But everything that, that I was raised with was geared towards agriculture and passion, compassion. It was such a driver for me. I always loved being around the animals. I always loved you know just the agriculture aspect of it, raising hay and feeding cows through the winter and making sure that everything is taken care of. When I went to Utah State, I, I kind of had a chip on my shoulder and, and had a great professor that, that kind of pulled me aside and, and coached me along a little bit and encouraged me to reach for more. You know, I was kind of getting frustrated with where I was at. And he said, rather than be a part of the problem, be a part of the solution. And so challenged me to run for what they call ag senator. And uh, I guess that's, that's the story I was going to hurry and quickly tell you is that you know, my career path, I kind of blame on a coin flip. Because it was the first time in uh, school history that there was an actual tie in the voting. And so they call Ag Center, which is kind of re- relatable to you know, student body president for the College of Agriculture. And I had a tie and um, first time in history. And so we, we didn't know how to handle it. And so they just said, well, what, what do you guys want to do? And so we put fate up to a coin flip and it went in my favor. And uh, so I went into you know student body government with that with knowing that I felt like I deserved to be there, but I had to prove it to everybody else. And from there, I started taking on more leadership positions. And so my senior year at college, I was head of several different committees, but 
it was pretty fun to call up the dean of college or even the president of the college and, and her chief of staff that I work really closely with, building those connections and seeing how government works inside of a university. And so when I left there, I had a pretty strong resume, which I know helped me get onto American Angus because I still feel today that I didn't deserve that position when I got it. You know, a, a kid from Southeast Idaho working for the largest breed association in the world that I didn't still don't think that I should have got that position. And if you would have seen the interview, I, I shouldn't have got it. But uh, they they took a chance on a young kid and I, I took it upon myself to prove myself worthy for them. Um, they gave me the great opportunities. I spent five years there, tried to prove, prove myself the whole time that I was there and got to just get connected more in the West and see how the industry worked. And, and then from there, you know, we went to uh, Western Livestock Journal, Jerry York, my predecessor, kind of was one of my mentors, great guy, I have utmost respect for him. And so he kind of coached me along. We chopped his territory in half and I kept the Southwest States for three years. And then we expanded that into the six Western States three years later. And so, yeah, I was there for, for about seven years. I had all six States and then just transitioned once uh, national livestock out of Oklahoma city, they purchased Western livestock journal January a year ago. And um, that's part of the transition plan was to, step into my current role. So it's been kind of a, a wild ride, three kids along the way. And so I can't, I can't, I can't tell my story without talking about, you know, my wife and our three kids. And yeah, so we're, we're a busy household now. I was going to say, you can't leave out Stevie because she is one heck of a woman who does a whole lot. Yep. Yep, exactly. So that's, you know, she's the one that uh, if, if she's got five minutes to spare, she's going to fill it with 10. And so she's always doing you know, whether it's church, she's involved with Miss Rodeo Idaho, uh, serves as a national director for them. But then, you know, when I'm gone, I'm traveling. And this year, if, and I'm trying to slow it down a little bit, but I'm on pace for almost 200 nights in a hotel this year. And so, you know, with that, we've got our own small operation where we're running cows and have a, have a bread heifer project this year. And so, you know, she's got to, you know, pull those duties when I'm gone. And so we, we ask a lot of her, but yeah, so we've got three kids, 11, seven, and three. And so we got softball, we got fair, we got dance, we've got, and then we got a little man that's just right in the mix of everything. So yeah, we're, we're not, uh, there's no reason for us to be bored at our house. Absolutely not. So not all of our listeners come from the livestock industry. So because of that, can you tell us a little bit more about Western Livestock Journal itself for those who may not be familiar? Yes, absolutely. And it's got such a rich history in the Western U.S. And so it actually started in 1922 on a $5,000 loan from the Los Angeles Stockyards. In fact, when you walk into our, our office space, there's a panorama picture from the ribbon cutting of the L.A. Stockyards, which haven't been, you know, were torn down years ago. In the 70s, they the Crow family uh, moved that to the Denver area, and it's been there ever since. In fact, that's where our office actually sits today in Greenwood Village, just south of the Tech Center in Denver. And so, yeah, it, it's uh, we're a weekly publication. We have a quarterly real estate magazine, and then we kick out three special agriculture magazines. Most of our business is centered around auctions. That's where you know where our friendship probably started as bull sales, and that's where you see a lot of our fieldmen. But we reach out, like I said, on a weekly basis to our field staff or through our through our readership and our field staff go and, and service those bull sales. And so, so that's where you see a lot of our, our guys and keep our face at the industry. Well, and I am somebody who has grown up with the Western Livestock Journal in our mailbox every week. And I can attest to what a great publication it is and what a great job you guys have done 
you know, the Crow family and now with you as to the kind of information that it covers and the kind of presence that you guys do have at events. It is a very, very well-oiled machine. Yeah. And it's, and I'm not going to take any credit for it because I, I feel like on a week to week basis, I, I don't have a lot to do with, with, you know, how the publication comes together because I'll almost just get in the way if, if I <laughs> start making phone calls and I kind of serve as a role is just trying to help serve. And so I, I'm, you know, a salesman one day, I'm uh, collecting ads one day, but kind of serve as a role as helping out, making sure the numbers are looking right, making sure that everything is going well. But I have a staff around me that makes everything work. And so I would never step in front of them and try to take what, what they do on a day-to-day basis because there's no way I could even compete with how talented they are. So let's take it back to the beginning. You have been at Western Livestock Journal since 2012, 11 mm-hmm. years ago. I assume that you would say that your initial role as a fieldman really helped lay the foundation for where you are today. So for those listeners who are in the beginning of their careers, right where you were, looking to move up the ladder like you have, what words of advice would you have for them? Oh, it's I've thought about this so many times um, going down the road, just young Logan, old Logan, you know, that, that whole thing. What, what would I tell myself? And honestly, I, I keep coming back to, I would have told myself to relax and I, and I can't, it's hard to give that kind of advice and, and blanket statement something. And so that's why I kind of have to gear it towards me. So I, I came into the professional world wanting to prove myself and I was so geared towards making everybody happy that I almost sacrificed my own happiness, trying to make sure that you know, all the Angus breeders were happy. Everybody that I worked with was happy and, and almost sacrificed my marriage in the middle of it. And so that was the biggest thing for me is that when I got to the point that I realized that I'm not going to make everybody happy, I can only do what I can do, which is, you know, if I'm giving my best, that's what all I can ask of myself. And, and when I finally got to that point, I was able to relax a little bit. And, and once I felt like I did that, then everything started to come together and I felt like I enjoyed my traveling more. I felt like I was easier to get along with. I felt like I had more patience. I felt like I was just a better person overall. You know, I think is, is majority of the ad kids out there, you know, we always brag about their work ethic. And so I would say, you know, if, if you're in a field with strong work ethics, you got to have that much stronger of a work ethic. So wake up earlier, go to bed earlier, get up and, and go. And, and I think the phrase that I really love is stay hungry. You know, because there's there's so many things that that people don't realize. When you travel um, for work, you get on operations for reasons that you know most people can't see these these awesome operations. Like, let's just say, like the middle of Nevada. Like, I, I really think they built that freeway in the in some of the ugliest terrain to hide the best parts of that state. You know, like you get off the freeway in, in some of the neatest ranches that I've ever seen, and some of the prettiest meadows that I've ever seen are tucked away in, in the middle of Nevada. And I was able to go out there and see those places. So that was, I guess, kind of circling back to your original question. I said, that would be the thing is, is stay hungry and keep driving, but stay true to yourself, stay true to your personality and everything will come into place. I love that. I think that that's really important, especially in the sense of we do often want to really please everybody and make sure that everybody's happy, but so much can then be forgotten about or we put ourselves on the back burner and that's not necessarily sustainable long term. And when you're looking at your career, you really have to look at what is going to sustain me long term. Mm-hmm. Exactly. 
So about a year ago, you made this transition to president at Western Livestock Journal. What has been the most exciting part of that move? Oh, the the most exciting part is all the ideas that are behind the scenes right now. And so I feel like we're, we've got this mixing bowl and we're just stirring ideas and we have a lot of things we're working on. We've done some video projects this spring. We're in the middle of a, of, of a full website rebuild. And so I think once we get to that point, you know, that's when I'm, I, I'm excited today, but I can't divulge a whole lot of information on that, but just because it's still in the works and still being, we're still tweaking on everything. But that's where I've been the most excited is just to see, okay, you know, as we, in 2023 have a hundred year old, 101 year old publication, you know, and, and, and so the, the exciting part is trying to take all of these technologies that we have available to us and how do you corral those to make one giant product? And, and that's the exciting part for me is trying to figure out that puzzle. You know, our whole goal is, is to be at the transactional level with all of our supporters. So, you know, if, if we see you at a bull sale, we're involved in those transactions. If we see you at a video sale, we're involved in that transaction. If you have some cattle to sell privately, we're going to be involved in those transactions. We want to stay relevant with our relationships and helping our producers drive forward. And then we're going to supplement that with extremely you know high quality editorial product. And that's going to keep people coming back and forth. I think as the model changes, you know, it used to be that you know, the good editor, good editorial drove subscriptions. A lot of subscriptions drove advertising dollars. Advertising dollars drove higher editorial product. And I think anymore you have to change that mode of thinking because there's four circles to that now. It's not just three. It's that whole social media aspect. And just like here, we're on a podcast, you know, a podcast, social media platforms, whether it's Facebook, TikTok, you know, Twitter, however you want to do it, they all have their different audiences. And so you can't ignore that kind of engagement to stay relevant to them. And so you have to add that fourth circle to that equation. And that's what we're trying to figure out at Western Livestock Journal is how does that fourth circle fit into our current model and how do we absorb that? So it's honestly my, the thing that keeps me up at night right now is, is just trying to figure out this puzzle and then drive that product that's going to stay relevant. Because as you mentioned just a second ago, and I'm, I know my answers again, kind of long winded, but. As you mentioned a second ago, like you, you grew up with Western Livestock Journal. Western Livestock Journal was on my grandfather's table as well. But if we try to stay in that same mold and say, okay, just a weekly publication and a print product, you know, are we going to going to stay relevant? You know, you and I are going to respect it, but are you going to read it? And that's a huge difference that we have to address. And so we want to stay relevant. So that's why I say like we have to figure out this how social media and the digital aspect fits into a print model. And that's, like I said, for me, that's the excitement. Well, and you bring up such a good point too about the fact, and I see this not only with the print side of things, but with operations too, right? How can we keep what was initially built, but how can we also evolve to fit the future? Because you don't want to change so much that your original, you know, your heritage or your audience or what you guys were known for falls off the back. But at the same time, you have to continually change and evolve to get those new new readers and new eyes. And, you know, this day and age too, especially with a weekly publication, people want to consume their news more than just once a week, which is why you guys, you guys do have a great website. And I'm excited to hear that the social aspect is coming into that too. Yep. Yep. So we actually, we survey our readership every couple of years and we're just finishing that up right now. 
in, in knowing that our readership would be skewed towards the print product, I thought it would be high, but it ended up being 92.5% of our readership prefer print. And in a lot of the, the surveys that I see, and there was one that I read about a month ago that, and it was just general population, and it was skewed, and it, those numbers were something like 73 or 74% of the people preferred print. And the interesting point of that was there wasn't a single print survey that was sent out. It was a 100% digital survey and they still, the numbers were that high. And so we know and understand that that print product is going to be a, a bigger driver in those buying decisions. But how do you build that relationship between print and digital so that you stay relevant with different generations, different ideas, stay in front of them, and then supply the print product that helps drive those buying decisions? So in your role transition, is there anything that you have been faced with or a struggle that maybe you did not expect? Yeah. So, you know, I stepped into it um, technically July 1 of last year. And the thing for us is like we have all these ideas. We were sitting on them. We kind of knew this transition was going on. We're all talking amongst staff. Okay, we're going to do this and this and this and this. And you know, we, we stepped in and had some staff meetings just to get on the same page. And at that point, we, we thought we'd be able to have a website done by September. You know, it, and so it's like, what do you mean you can't build a database in two months? What's your problem? You know, and so just so we had to step back and realize that, OK, you know, and I'm not trying to throw, you know, anybody under the bus in this answer. What I'm saying is that it was just a situation that we were had. So. As I stepped in, a lot of our software was getting outdated. A lot of our, lot of our computers were outdated. You know, we needed to get into a better office space and, and have a better atmosphere for our employees. And so we had to step back and kind of recreate the foundation before we could step into some of these other things like the new website and getting into some of this video work. And so, you know, we, we couldn't really even talk about the social media platforms because we had to go back and, and figure out a, a better the system for us to work with because we're starting to get to where employees can work remotely and you have to have your technology and the infrastructure set up correctly or else everything fails. And, and when a week of publication happens, literally every day feels like it's a deadline. And, and that's what I tell our field staff. Every day is a deadline. And so if you miss a day, you're behind. And so in our model, we had to go back and, and like I said, kind of rebuild the foundation. So that was kind of the biggest I guess frustration, surprise, whatever phrase you want to put to it. And so, but I feel like we're, we're there now and we're working on those things. Uh, just got moved into a new office. And, and if I didn't have the right staff around me, none of that would have been possible. So I know that we've put a lot on their plate in the last year. I'm sure they're ready for this transition to be done. I know I am. And so we can start working on the fun things now. Well, that is a big project and undertaking to be thrown into right out of the gate. I mean, when it comes to Refirming that framework as far as technology and the structure of something that is not an easy task no in fact i was you know i, I was, obviously i was with wlj for for 10 years as a fieldman and so it, i just had gotten used to our process there and so if i needed a report if i needed anything from the office you know i kept very tight records on my own stuff but then if you think about it, like I was keeping my records and I was turning it into the office and then they were taking that and putting it into their system. And like there are so many times that these ads got handled that, you know, we, we had to cut several of those processes out. But I was so shocked and I, I hate to make fun of this, but it, it's worthwhile is that our ad software system that we were using, it still had a 19 in front of it. it the software was, was that old. 
And so it's just like, hey, there's this thing called the internet and I really think it's going to stick, you know. And so we'll be able to use that moving forward. And so we, we got into a new customer, a new CRM. And, and, and so we, it's so much easier. You know, our filming can pull reports and they can see where their ARs are sitting. They can see where the commissions are sitting. And so it just makes that it makes it that much easier for everybody. That is hilarious. I remember one time I worked at a central entry office taking rodeo entries. And this was when I was, I mean, it would have been the, I don't know, 2005, 2006. And that program that they used was built in the 80s and it was still on DOS. Like we had to have the old school printer for it and you couldn't use any other computer and it was the most archaic system. But oftentimes things that are that are built, especially when it comes to publications and CRMs and whatnot, they don't fit new computers and new software. So that's why things haven't changed because they they can't match up. Yeah. And we still have some things in some of our processes. And, it, and, and once our staff is, starts hearing me talk about process, because I am not a process person and I'm not afraid to make fun of myself, but that's my thing. I, I love thinking about the ideas. I love thinking about the big picture stuff. I just I always struggle with how do you get from point A to point B. And, and you know, once, once a customer runs a credit card, well, you know, in my mind, the process should be done, but no, there's, there's several more steps that have to be taken after that. But that's what I just tell them, you know, being able to identify my own faults. I am not a process person. So that's what I've, I've struggled with that and trying to figure out, okay, you know, if I have an idea, okay, what is it going to mean to our staff and how is that going to affect their lives? And are the, am I going to have a mutiny on my hands? Okay. Let's go back to the promotion. Many people struggle with getting their coworkers or who were their coworkers prior to them being promoted to respect them as a leader. So what advice do you have for somebody who may be in that phase? You know, when you send me your list of questions, this is the one that I probably struggled with the most. So I, I, I love TikTok and I'm not afraid to admit that. And there was one that popped up on my feed the other day that it was advice for parents and, and they had this this whole thing, but the whole point of it was that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be open. It's okay to be honest, you know, and they use that as a parenting style. And I kind of felt like that related back to where I was with WLJ is that, you know, I'm not a different person. Logan Ibsen is a fieldman and shouldn't be any different than Logan Ibsen as president. And that's why I really struggled with the title changes because I really didn't want a title change. And and truth be told, the whole 10 years that I was a fieldman, you know, people kind of knew what I was, but I, I mean, there would be, you know, stuff that we would kick out that would call me like a field editor. Then the next one would be a fieldman. And then the next one would be a field representative. And so I really never knew what my title was, but I really didn't care. I knew what I was. And so now I've got this title and it's like, that shouldn't change who I am. And so you know, I, I'm honest. I, I try to be as transparent as I can. I, t- I tell them the situation. I tell them where I'm coming from, but I also will ask them for advice in this. And that's what I've told them for, for 15 years. You know, I, even, even with American Angus, like, you know, I, I managed my own schedule. I, I didn't have to worry about anybody else's. I didn't have to prove time off and help you manage your vacation hours. I never had to do that kind of stuff. I was worried about myself, you know, my operation, my business, my travel, my family. You know, I wasn't worried about any of this other stuff. And, and so I've told our staff, like, I'm learning this as I go. And I, so I, you know, ask them to be patient with me, but they should know that I'm going to be open and honest. And we'll come up with the answer. I do think that a group of people collectively is so much smarter than an individual. 
And so when I rely on that, I will ask them, you know, for their advice. And then if, if I have to go against that advice, I try to explain why. Not always the best at it, but for me, that transition is, is how do I go from a coworker to more of a leadership role? I think it's just open, being open, being honest, being transparent, being willing to be vulnerable. You know, I'm still a person, you know, I still have good days, I still have bad days. But as a staff, I think we're going to figure our way through it. Well, I think that you also hit on an important topic about not necessarily caring what your title is. I think oftentimes one of the reasons that the people have a hard time respecting those who are moving up the ladder is because that person is just chasing the title and isn't necessarily passionate about the the work and the effort that it takes in that role. And they don't necessarily want to connect because they're looking at the wrong thing, right? Chasing money versus chasing happiness is very similar to chasing a title versus really in, enjoying the job and the journey. So I think that that is something that's a very unique thing that you said there. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because now I've had this conversation with a lot of different people and a lot of it can be generational as well. You know, when, when I came out of college and went right to American Angus, I mean, there was a very specific title and there was, you know, a chain of command and there was, you know, VPs of this and there was, you know, directors of this. And yes, yeah, so you kind of knew. And I think in big corporations, it makes a lot of sense. But there's a, we have a staff of 12. And so really, I mean, I would, I would be okay if I just had a number. You know, I don't need that title, but I know that it matters to other people in our organization. And so you try to appease that, but I want to make them feel like they're welcome beyond what their title is. That's really important. And also the the importance in being a leader before you are the leader, which is somebody I can tell that Logan is, for those of you listening, like he is somebody who is well-respected regardless of where he goes. So it, it is no surprise to me that he is a well-respected leader now because he always has been prior to being the leader. Well, I, you'd have to ask them if they respect me. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if they do or not. I, I, we I know mean, they do, Logan. We know that you're a very well-respected and a well, uh, you're just a good overall person. Thank you. But now you're blushing. I've made you, I've embarrassed you and have given you yeah. praise. So we'll... <laughs> here in my office. And that is the thing like that I do like about this situation is that we are, like I'm sitting here, I, you know, t-shirt and, and ball cap. This is kind of, you know, work attire and, and I work from home and, and just try to juggle the travel schedule. But yeah, that's a, <laughs> I'm not afraid to just be a normal person. I love it. Okay. So one thing that we hear a lot when it comes to promotions is... A lot of people, because again, and I don't necessarily think that everybody is chasing the title, but they see that the grass is greener on the other side. And then when they get there, they realize, oh man, I missed a lot of the things that I did before I got in this leadership role, right? I've heard a ton of people who had jobs that were outside jobs. And then in that promotion, they got put in an office and they thought, man, I thought I would like this, but really now I don't get to do any of the stuff that I enjoyed doing. I just push paper all the time or whatever that is. So you said that you travel 200 days out of the year. Is that the same as when you were a field man? Has that changed at all? Has there been any kind of a sacrifice in that? Oh, yeah. There's, um, I guess the thing, like as far as the change, I, I wouldn't be able to answer this question and, and be happy with it if I didn't talk about like my smaller accounts that I had before. Because those are the accounts that matter so much to our business model, but they also matter to me personally. You know, those are the ones you have the friendships with. Those are the ones that, you know, you go out there and see and you, you know their cattle individually. I mean, there was, 
there's one that comes to mind that in an operation just south of Sacramento, California, I would, I would look for certain animals at different places. You, you were spent enough time there that you saw them, and, but you know, the people matter, you know, and that was the biggest thing for me in, in transitioning out of that territory, I guess you could say, because I still, I hate, still hate saying it, you know, because that was the, the people that I built my business with, but I built it out of friendship and loyalty and relationships. And so that's the hardest part for me is that, you know, and, and Jared Patterson came in and, and, and filled my role. And I couldn't have asked for a better person to do that. He's a great individual. He's so well-respected. I mean, he, he honestly is the epitome of, of what a fieldman should be. And even when you have a rock star like that, it's still hard to turn over these relationships. And so that was the, the biggest struggle for me is feeling that emptiness of, okay, you know, I transitioned into a role where, you know, Pete Crow still kind of had the Texas, New Mexico, Arizona area. So he had his accounts. I brought Jared on. So he had all my accounts. We still had a, a full field staff. And so I kind of went about a year without really having a territory and a set list of accounts to, to call on. And so I kind of felt almost lost. And, and that was the hard part for me is not only was I feeling lost, but then I had, you know, I didn't lose those relationships because I still talk to them all the time. I still maintain those friendships, but I didn't have that relationship with them where I was going to see their operation and whatnot. And so that was kind of the hardest part for me was turning that over. Now, in saying that, we try to use teamwork. And so you knowing that, you know, Jared's going to take care of, but now I can help serve, you know, into our Northern Territory and go up and see Devin Mernon up there. And help him with some of his accounts and get out into the Midwest where we just picked up Ty Groshans. As, as Jim Guys uh, retired, Ty Groshans fills his position. So I'll go out there and travel with him. I'll be in Texas quite a bit this fall. And so that's why I'm traveling. Before it was travel every day to a sale. Now it's going to be travel, you know, a longer distance, do the sale, and then come back. And so it might be three days of travel for one sale when before is three days of sales. So it, it just balances out. But for me, I'm fortunate that I love to travel. I mean, I have no problem getting on an airplane. I have no problem with a hotel room. You know, I, there's sometimes, and Stevie knows this well enough. I think we've been married long enough that I won't get divorced by saying this, that I, I have my hotel routine. And so sometimes I'll actually sleep better in a hotel when I'm when I'm in that mode and traveling, but when I'm gone for a long time, coming back home, now I'm the odd person out. So they have their routine and here's this random dude that just showed up. What's he doing? Well, I'm here just messing up their schedule. And so we're trying to fill those both routines and still try to get your work done and all that stuff. So it's a constant juggle, but anymore, it's just, it, it's more of a lifestyle that we're just used to. And so we just do it. Well, I will say everybody thinks that nobody puts on more miles than a rodeo cowboy in the summer. And I will tell them that they've never met a field man during bull sale season because I have seen you guys back in my ICA days where I think that we would all be at the same five sales in the same week. Like you guys put on so many miles. Yeah. And it's, it's all of them. I could cross the country. I mean, there's, you know, from January till, you know, end of May, there's guys traveling just to get from one cell to the next, to the next, to the next. And, you know, the, the one thing I, I can't, I can't pay enough respect to the groups that we travel with. And I see that happen in all these different territories. You're with these guys so much that those friendships become so important to you. And so, 
you know, you start, you know, granted we're all competitors and, and that would, you know, if there's a lot of the, your listeners that are not ag related, it's kind of hard to explain how this relationship works because, you know, my best friends are technically my biggest competitors. In fact, my wife, you know, she publishes the California Cattle Magazine. Well, her salesman is, is one of my very best friends. But if you look at it from a business perspective, those guys are our biggest competition in the far West. But it's more of a symbiotic relationship, not just for the health of my marriage, but it, it would be that way even if that magazine wasn't published out of this house. These are the guys we travel with, the relationships with the auctioneers, the relationships with the other fieldmen, you know, other publication guys, other association guys. We all start traveling together. And so those those friendships, those relationships, you know, they they go pretty deep. And, and I see that in different parts. I know like the Montana crew, they all get along and they're a great group of guys. So when I go travel up there, it's just like going home and traveling some of those guys. It's the same in all different parts of the country there. The fieldman mentality, it, it's it's pretty interesting. It would probably be a pretty entertaining uh, reality show if somebody ever wanted to actually go do that. But uh, but it, there's a great group of guys in each each area. And like, like I said, I wouldn't be successful without those relationships. And if you think about it from a perspective, knowing that I'm successful because of my competitors doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people. But when you start putting the personalities together and how they've helped me develop, couldn't be where I'm at today without any of those guys. Well, and to give another example, going back to rodeo cowboys, it is very similar as to how cowboys are best of friends, but also competitors. And you see them helping their competitors and, you know, helping their friends at the same time. And then they're the next to go. And, and I think that that's one of the things that is so cool about the Western sports industry and the ranching industry and agriculture as a whole is we care so much about the people around us that we want to see them succeed just as much as we want ourselves to succeed. And I think that's why we do so well, because it's the purest of intentions. Absolutely. Okay, so let's get into the rapid fire round. These are, they don't necessarily have to be rapid fire answers, but we ask these same questions for all of our guests. So number one, what is the best piece of business or personal advice that you've ever been given? Uh, Best piece of personal advice I've ever been given would be Get there early and be part of the solution rather than be there late, be part of the problem. Oh, that's good. If you could give any words of wisdom and you knew that they would be taken to heart, what would they be? Relax. It'll work out. I probably, I think I'm the one that needs to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) If you could go to dinner with anybody, dead or alive, who would you pick? Ah, oh, you know, I read that question and was like, oh, you, you kind of hit a heartstring on that one because there would be a lot of people. I mean, you could go down the list of athletes, but if, honestly, I would love to see my grandfather again. I mean, so influential in my life. If there could be anybody in the world, I would love to get a dinner with him one more time. That that was also, I answered these a few weeks ago and that was my same answer. I didn't have a celebrity that I wanted to be with. Like I wanted to have dinner with my grandpa. So I feel you. Yep. What is one quote that you lead your life by? Oh, shoot. Um, I mean, the one that I tell my girls, it is, <laughs> and, and I'm going to try not to mess it up. It's the poem by Marianne Williamson, but it's, um, it says, um, our greatest fear is not that we are ad- inadequate. Our greatest fear is that we are powerful beyond all measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us. 
And the poem goes on from there, but I always tell them that part. But don't be afraid to be powerful and don't be afraid to be a leader. Ooh, that is good. Okay. And then the last question, this is a newer question. Let's talk about favorite things. Do you have a favorite book or a podcast or a program, a product, something that has like changed your life and you think more people need to know about it? I'm going to say just for my staff, if they listen to this, I'm going to say TikTok because I am so on them. Like we're going to have a TikTok channel and they're, they make fun of me because they're like, they're like, dude, you're 38. Don't get, I'm like, no, we're TikTok. <laughs> no, as far as like an author and all that, I, I go back to Jim Collins with, you know, built to last, good to great, you know, how the mighty fall. There are so many of those series that, that he, you know, dissected a lot of these Fortune 500 companies and what survived and what didn't. But you can relate to those books at so many different levels. So when we have a staff of 12 if, or if there's a staff of 1,200, the principles still relate. So I'm a big fan of Jim Collins. Okay. Well, I will make sure that our staff goes and drops some Jim Collins books in the show notes. So if you're a listener and you think, man, I've never heard of him or I want to read something by him that they're easy for you to find. And then I will say, Logan, TikTok. I did not expect you to be a big TikToker. I'm shocked. <laughs> it's such a, it's, it's just funniness. It, and, and I wasn't going to do it. And I get all the buzzwords. And, I, you know, Montana obviously hates it right now. And that's where, like, these guys will make fun of me. But at the same time, like, I had so many people sending me funny ones. That I'm like, yeah, let's just, let's just see what this is. And then next thing you know, like, you know, my wife's on it. And so now it's just, it's more of a joking point because, because Kirby Bryansfeld is our operations and production manager and she's an absolute rock star, but she's, she's got her Facebook and she's got Instagram and she's Twitter. And so I'm always telling her like TikTok, we got to be on TikTok. If we're going to stay rolling, we got to be on TikTok. So now it's just kind of a joking point for all of us and our staff. Oh, that is funny. Okay. Well, for those of our listeners who have really loved this episode and they want to keep up with you and Western Livestock Journal more, where can they find you online? So it's pretty easy. So WLJ.net, that's our website. It's a Western Livestock Journal, WLJ.net. And you can go there and find me. My phone number and my email is on there. But yeah, um, always going, always traveling. And so if I can't answer the phone, I'll, I'll definitely get back with you. But yeah, no, that's the funnest part. And I'll say this. So like I just did our, we kick out our weekly column every week. And so we kicked that out on Facebook. And so that's been the fun part is seeing the engagement, seeing people reach out, knowing that you impacted somebody that day with your opinion. It, it's pretty fun. So if, if somebody wants to call and, and shoot the breeze on what's going on, I'd love to learn from people. And if we can have that conversation, I look forward to it. Awesome. And then I know that Western Livestock Journal just started an Instagram account. What is the handle there that people can go follow? Yeah. So we just started a, a new account here not too long ago, about a month or two months ago. It's at Western Livestock Journal. So we're, we're kicking out market updates and different things, um, editorial products there. And so, yeah, come check it out. I know Kirby's doing a great job with that. Perfect. If you guys aren't already, make sure that you're following Western Livestock Journal over on Instagram, Facebook. You can get news on their website. And if you love a good old-fashioned weekly newspaper in your mailbox every week, make sure to go subscribe to Western Livestock Journal. I can tell you that it is a favorite part of our mailbox routine. Thank you so much for being here today, Logan. You dropped a lot of really, really great insight. And I'm so thankful that you took the time out of your day to share that with us. I know that your words are really going to resonate with a lot of people. So thank you for that. And as always, 
please do us a favor and share your favorite part from today's episode in your stories, whether that is on Instagram or Facebook. We appreciate all the love that you guys give us, and that makes a really big difference in getting wisdom from people like Logan out into more of the world. So with that, we will be back next week. If you loved this episode, do us a favor and share it with someone else who might find just as much value in it as you did. We're on a mission to continue to grow and strengthen the future of agriculture and Western industries, and you spreading the word helps us make more of a positive impact. It also makes a big difference when you take a minute to go rate and review the show. We can't thank you enough for listening, for sharing, and for loving Ag and Western as much as we do. We'll see you back here for our next episode.